today on Amplified Whole Health. I like thinking about why, why did we enjoy playing music when we were kids? You know, it really was playing music, right? Maybe it doesn't, when we were kids, maybe it didn't sound as good, but you know, we enjoyed playing it. It's supposed to be an enjoyable thing. And, and, and as you know, any time something becomes a job, some of that enjoyment can go away. So it's really trying to stay focused that that doesn't happen. Welcome to the Amplified Whole Health Podcast, where personal and organizational health meet. I'm your host, Justin Collier, and my goal is to bring you insightful interviews with business owners and leaders from a variety of different industries. We'll be talking about employee development, leadership, company culture, and quality products and services and how they drive success in business. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Well, thanks for joining. And uh, today I'm joined by John Jetter, who is the conductor of the symphony as well as the director of the symphony here in Fort Smith. Is that an accurate statement? Well, yeah, that is accurate. Uh, Music director and conductor is the title. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, uh, uh, this is my 24th season. So yeah. 24th season. Yeah. So 24 years. 24 yeah. years you've been uh, in yeah. this role in some form or yes. capacity. Yeah. And where did you come from before this? Well, uh, I'm originally from Southern California, but uh, before this, uh, I was living in Indianapolis. And uh, prior to that, uh, oh, I went to school in Indianapolis and uh, then on the East Coast before that. But so I've kind of been and lived in Texas for a while. So I've been around a little bit. But um, came here, and I guess that would be not like 96, 97 season, something like that. And, um, you know, I didn't know how long I would be here, uh-huh. you know, and then here we are. You know, next year will be uh, 25th season. So, yeah. How do you get into this type of work? Well, there's a lot of different ways. You know, my, my way was a little different. The real short version is I was interested in music as a kid uh, because I really liked it. I liked, enjoyed listening to it. And I actually got into it uh, from a, a friend of mine who always had music. His parents were, his mom, I think, was uh, had emigrated from Europe. So there was that tradition in their house. It was always Wagner and Beethoven. And you know, I didn't know who any of those guys were. So I, I, interestingly, I got interested uh, as a listener first, which is unusual at a young age. And then uh, took piano lessons uh, more because I wanted to kind of learn more about music, not necessarily to be a pianist, but that's kind of the, the piano is kind of your, your instrument of choice to learn about, to have a general knowledge of music and maybe composition or something. So uh, and I also was, uh, I had a, a love uh, drawing and painting, had a graphic arts background. Uh, I got, uh, I soloed and did everything for my uh, pilot's license when I was 17. So I had a lot of conflicting sort of interests uh, or competing interests, I would say. Sure. Uh, but ultimately kind of went to music school, uh, not necessarily knowing what I wanted to do in music school. I thought I might teach uh, like at a university or something. But uh, anyway, you know, one thing led to another and uh, received, uh, had a, a master's degree in conducting, and uh, that was in Indianapolis, and I had a chance to uh, uh, work with the orchestra there. 
and just sort of one thing led to another. And uh, here, I was, I, there was a period of time where I was a, a candidate for a number of music director jobs, and the one here was uh, available, and I came and visited the orchestra. And, you know, I, I've, I've been very public about, you know, at first it was like, wow, there needs to be a lot of work needs to be done. You know, the orchestra was okay. Wasn't, you know, wasn't what it is now by any means artistically, but there was, uh, at the time, uh, there were a handful of board members, symphony board members who said, look, we really want to turn the orchestra around. And if you were to come here and, and be our music director, I'm sure you'd get a ton of support from the community. And that's exactly really what happened. Wow. Yeah. So kind of a long road, a lot of choices. It sounds like you had just from yeah. interests, right? So when you made the decision, Hey, I'm yeah. going to end up getting into this and, you know, I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about the symphony, and I would imagine that there's a lot. I of don't people either. That, <laughs> there's probably a lot of people out there that don't, and so maybe you could just take sure. a moment and explain what's the difference between a symphony and an orchestra. Is there one? Well, no. I mean, an orchestra. You could have a jazz orchestra or a wind orchestra. Symphony orchestra is that traditional woodwind, uh, brass, percussion, string orchestra that's you know that's been around. Uh, really, uh, since the time of Bach, so it's you know goes back a few hundred years. And uh, it's, you know, it's a great collection of music. I mean, if you go back, it's, it's ironic. It's one of the, the, the symphony orchestra is sort of one of the pillars of, I guess you could say, Western civilization. Interestingly enough, most of the instruments are actually Middle Eastern in origin. Hmm. And uh, uh, they developed. And of course, we have this great tradition of classical music and romantic music. And uh, that has really blossomed, uh, particularly in the last hundred years. And I think for most people uh, in the general public, uh, thinking about orchestral music, their connection with it is going to be film music. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's really a huge, the motion picture industry, the films wouldn't be what they were without music, and particularly orchestral music. And uh, you saw orchestral music in that, that golden era of uh, film, uh, 1930s, 40s, 50s, that were all huge film scores. It switched to popular music, jazz, rock in the 60s and 70s. And then, of course, John Williams brought back the full score for Star Wars. And it's been uh, the, the preferred soundtrack for most films, you know, to be, use a full orchestra. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I would say about uh, for people who might not uh, know a lot about symphony, uh, symphony orchestra going to concerts is, yes, I know that for most of you, as soon as you hear the word symphony, it's like, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds boring. It's boring. It's a lot of, you know, older people uh, listening to uh, old music. And uh, it's not really, you know, doesn't sound that exciting. And I totally understand that. And I think there is some truth to that, which, uh, which in, in, in the sense that that's what it can be. And uh, the sort of snobby elitist aspect is unfortunately a big part of the orchestra industry. It's been that way for a long time. It's terrible. It's reprehensible. Uh, we, I have to say, don't do it that way here. Uh, we've made a, a, a great effort to remember that it's about having a fun experience. It's about listening to great music. You can have fun going to the concerts. There's a lot of really cool music out there. There's a lot of classical music that's, yeah, it's kind of boring. We don't program it, you know? And there's a lot of classical artists out there in the world that will just put you to sleep. I get it. So we don't do that. I really think we, and we perform a lot of music. We perform a lot of different types. Yes, we perform Beethoven and Mozart. We perform Hans Zimmer and John Williams. We've done uh, history of rock and roll concerts, uh, symphonic jazz concerts, blues, uh, 
what makes I think what makes orchestral music special is it's played by an orchestra and whether it's classical or baroque or rock or film music you know the special part about it is that a symphony orchestra is playing it it's just a great it's a sound that you just can't duplicate yeah I mean, it, it worked for Metallica. They did something with a symphony. Yeah, if that's I'm not right. Mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's symphonic rock, and you know sometimes it works better than others. Uh, a lot of times, uh, actually, you know, amplified like electronic music. Like you know, I see you've got an electric guitar here. I there have been a number of electric guitar concertos. Mm-hmm. Haven't quite worked yet, <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. So. All right, so that you've got the symphony. How many folks are part of the symphony here? Okay, so specific to the Fort Smith Symphony, our roster um, is around anywhere from like 90 to 100 musicians. Um, we have about 20 musicians, and they're all professional paid musicians. Yeah, we're considered a, a professional per-service orchestra. And uh, there's about 20 of these musicians who live in the greater Fort Smith area. And then all the other ones come from uh, Dallas, uh, uh, Oklahoma City, uh, Tulsa, uh, a few from Little Rock. Uh, We have people from Springfield, Missouri. We have two principal players who live in Ithaca, New York. And we've had a lot of, um, in previous years, we've had a lot of um, musicians. Our second flutist lives in uh, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana now. So we fly in some of our players. And uh, we all get together for a very limited rehearsal time and uh, give concerts. We give about six to seven concerts, performances a year that are kind of, you know, where you're at the concert hall. And then we give a lot of educational programs, educational concerts. We have uh, in-school programs that go, you know, there's a jazz quartet that goes into the school, string quartet. We have a, we have a, a, a electronic string quartet that does all rock and jazz. It's called Jolt. And it's electronic instruments, all, you know, electronic violins and cello and bass. So uh, it's a very, uh, I think, a really broad range of music that we present. I think for symphony orchestra especially. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got roughly like 90 plus folks that are involved in in some form or fashion. They're all paid. Yes. So that's interesting. It was going to be a question because I didn't know how that particularly worked. And so you've got these 90 folks. How do you orchestrate and communicate with these 90 folks to make a decision on music and then to move things forward? Well, the programming is something that I do. That's one of my, as a music director. So, you know, I'll decide on a season of music uh, that I think is very varied. Uh, Also, the fact that we give a relatively limited number of concerts a year, because we're in a smaller community and a smaller budget. So one of the things we do is... um, I do is program over about like a three-year cycle. So maybe one year might focus on a lot of uh, larger symphonies. Maybe it might focus more on the classics. Well, then the next year, I would definitely want something different. So it might be a focus more on pop music. And then maybe the third year is a little bit more of a focus on film music. So uh, there's there's the programming. And then, yeah, there's a process in place where we have this roster of musicians. Um, They're sent their music in advance and maybe four to six weeks before a concert, and they come together. Uh, all of our, our services, uh, concerts, rehearsals are at the Arc Best Performing Arts Center, which is at the Fort Smith Convention Center. And they're all uh, uh, terrific professionals, so we get together for a very short time, and everyone has learned their part. And uh, we're there together on stage, and the, uh, the job there is to kind of make it all come together. And um, what you're really doing is, 
people basically are playing their parts correctly, but they might play them a little differently. So if you have a, you know, you've got a violin section, the first, so in the strings, there's like a first violin section, second violin section, viola section, cello section, bass section. There's maybe 45 to 50 musicians total just there. So all the first violins, they play exactly the same music. Their part's the same. And they've all practiced, uh, they're professionals, they, they know how to play the music, but invariably, if you had 12 people read something, read an article in a newspaper, and they read it out loud, you're going to get all these different inflections, sure. right? Maybe different pronunciations. So the idea is to try to get it, uh, you know, maybe coordinated or a little, a little more homogeneous. And that can be done by saying something. Uh, some of it happens, you know, as they're listening to other people, they kind of figure it out. Oh, the cellos had the same thing that we have, and they played it this way, so we're going to do it this way. Or a lot of it as a conductor is just you're doing it without saying anything because that's your, you know, you, you're waving that baton around, right? Yeah. And there's all sorts of things you can do uh, non-verbally to, uh, you know, save time, and uh, that's just part of that process. So, yeah, when the conductor's up there, it's just not... <laughs> You know, <laughs> not just it's not, yeah, it's just not, yeah, there's a little more to it than just waving that baton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have to have an incredible ear in order to pick up on these nuances. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that ideally, yeah, you, you have a, a, one has a good ear and I think just as important one has, um, one has to know what needs to be taken care of at any given time? Will this get better? If I say nothing, will it just get better the next time based mm -hmm. on my players? Is this something where we need to stop? Uh, is this something that um, maybe if I say something to one group, the other group kind of has the same thing so I don't have to address maybe a lot of players? Sure. Or if, uh, for example, in the woodwinds, brass, and percussion, it's one on a part. So, for example, there's two flute players and or three, and they play parts that are similar, but they're their own little group, so they have separate parts. So another thing is that's very important is you have these people who are musicians who are creative. You also don't want to step on what they're doing. So um, maybe someone, uh, you listen to how someone has maybe a big solo and um, determine whether that works with what everyone else is doing. Um, you kind of have a sense of how expressive they're, they're being. Maybe they're trying to figure out some things, but you have to be willing to, uh, um, even if you have a real strong view of how maybe the solo should go, you have to decide, well, is your strong view worth maybe not letting them do exactly what they want to do? Is it maybe letting them do exactly what they want to do more important than, you know, than, because, because as we were, as, uh, we were discussing before, again, it's this idea of bringing everyone together. Yeah. So, and that's, and I'm being very, maybe I'm being too detailed, but that's the sort of things that can happen. I think it's really good perspective. So, yeah. And it also depends on your situation. Uh, this year, uh, during uh, uh, COVID, we, and we are, we can maybe talk about it. We are giving live concerts, by the way, folks. We've given four live performances since October. And however, due to various factors, exposure, uh, we only have one rehearsal. So... You know, that, there's, there's, a, there's that practical aspect of doing what we need to do with our players just to say, okay, we've got, you know, 10 minutes on this piece. So you, so you also, that's where the programming comes in. Don't pick a piece that takes 45 minutes to rehearse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? so intelligent about what pieces you pick. Yeah. And then giving uh, your professional people freedom 
and license and then making a decision as to when you need to step in. Sure. To put it all together. Exactly. It like. Exactly. And that's a good description, but it, it, uh, I just say on a, I don't even, that was more detailed than I would think about it. You know, I just, it's just net natural now. It's like, you, you know, you just yeah. let them do. And also, uh, I've been with these players for a long time, so I'll, maybe I'll have an idea what, you know, yeah. Um, another thing too is, uh, is, is the physicality of it. We're playing in a space and the audience is out in the, the hall. So there are issues also about projection and I don't mean just being louder, but, um, our main goal is to be exciting for that person in row 30 mm. and we're, you know, X number of feet away. So sometimes we have to do things. Maybe there might be a musical gesture that sounds perfect, maybe a little, crescendo decrescendo but uh, you know is that going to work 40 feet away mm. you know probably not so then we end up maybe exaggerating what sounds like an exaggeration uh, when we we can talk about we've made a number of really successful recordings and when you're recording music sometimes you really have to do things differently because there's no visual cues so sometimes those uh shaping of phrases and uh, dynamics get get exaggerated a little bit, but it sounds fine. It sounds natural in a recorded context. But when, but you have to do things a little different when you're recording versus when exactly. you're Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk maybe a moment about how does someone get into the symphony and get on this roster? I mean, not necessarily yours, but it just in general, how, what, well, it's well, uh, it, it, it varies in a, um, I can tell you, like for the uh, very large orchestras, like let's say you're, you know, you want to join the New York Philharmonic. I mean, you know, th they would announce an opening, a violin opening. They would receive hundreds of applications, hundreds, and they would send out. Uh, you would you would send uh, recordings, um, and I don't know if it's maybe if it's changed, but typically you send a recording, and they don't want to. Uh, uh, usually, it's just an audio recording, and basically, if you're chosen, you would then go to uh, New York. And uh, there's a whole audition process there. They're blind auditions, they're called. So there's, a, there's literally, you know, something in front of you. So they can't tell if you're, you know, male, female, you know, any sort of ethnicity. And then if you're uh, selected, there's usually, you know, a year or two pro uh, probationary period. Wow. So, and there's just, so... So you just take that idea, and then as the orchestras get smaller, um, what we do is really uh, unusual, and that is I sort of don't do traditional auditions as much because I've been here long enough. Uh, I joke about this, but I have a terrific spy network in our region. <laughs> so if a new musician comes, I usually hear about it. And if someone has, you know, used to play in a big orchestra, and they're here maybe teaching at a university, I, you know, I have a pretty good idea, you know. And, and also our musicians might say, hey, this, there's this new person in, in Dallas, and, you know, he or she would love to come and play. Um, that said, our roster has kind of solidified a little bit more. So one of the things when, um, is we don't have really necessarily spots available. And I do have people reach out and say, hey, I have my master's degree in uh, trumpet performance, and I'd love to play. And um, we have a list of substitute players that's really huge already. So, and I, I remember, you know, we, we have a list of substitutes that were like everyone on the list has their DMAs and, you know, whatever the performance is. So there's a lot of super qualified people who, who will even come and play just a concert if it's, yeah. you know, if it's, uh, if, if something opens up. So, 
I mean, I don't want to say it's hard to get into. I don't mean it like an exclusivity thing. It's just the practicality of a limited number of concerts and who we can, uh, who we can ask. Uh, I am uh, happy to say that we get people just wanting to play all the time, you know, just, and I, and there's a really good, um, I know there's talk in our region and people who play in the orchestra and like, let's say they live in Dallas, they'll have people say in Dallas, you know, I hear you, you know, they'll say something like, Oh, I just played in Fort Smith. And those people say, really, how do I, you know, how can I do that? Cause the orchestra does, I think people who don't know a lot about the Fort Smith symphony, we actually really do have a, a, a notable reputation regionally nationally and internationally because of the recordings that we've done. So it's really a pretty cool thing. You know, I'm just tell I'm just telling you, I'm not, you know, I don't have a big head about it. <laughs> but but my point is normally for an orchestra in a smaller community, you wouldn't necessarily have this yeah. all this cool stuff. Yeah. But you've had the opportunity to to build this stuff up. And so has that been always part of your strategy or have you just found opportunity as you've been doing this for twenty four years and then taken the chance? Uh, it's usually been, uh, I, I'm a planner, okay. so, um, and uh, that's another thing for people who play. They're kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, he's always really, you know, he's always really organized, and, you know, I like things. You know, the joke is, you know, if I send someone an email about some availability, you know, they have like five minutes to respond. Like, yeah, I didn't respond to the guy in five minutes because I'm really, you know, I try to keep things um, uh well, I just like to have a plan and, and follow through. So, um, so yes, there's there's long range planning, and I think the main issue has been that all of the artistic planning has always included the financial part. So I don't think I've ever gone to our board of directors and said, "Hey, I'd like to. I think this would be a great project to do. This would be a great artistic project," and then sit back. I'll say, "I think we should do this project." And I believe we can raise the money doing this, you know, asking this person or asking this industry. So I think that has led to actually us being able to do a lot of things instead of just having a lot of ideas. Yeah, I thought about doing that, but we couldn't do it. You know. So you've been very detailed, not only in your ideas, but also how are you going to execute on them? Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think in the I think in the creative world, if I if I you know. If I can say, I think that's one of uh, the creative people, artists, if you will, that's one of their biggest downfalls is they're so wrapped up in the creation. Part of the part of creating something is, for lack of a better word, selling it. Hmm. So if you create it and no one partakes in it, I think it was a waste of time. You know, or if you design a new car, well, if no one buys the car, right? Yeah. So, so I think, and I think now in this day and age, I think, that's starting to be understood a little bit more that there is music's great. Uh, uh, the theater's great, but there is a, there's a biz, there's the business side of it and that has to be part of it or else. Otherwise it's, not it's gonna... a hobby. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with a hobby. There's nothing wrong with it. But, um, and I've all, I have to say, I've really enjoyed the other part of it too. It's been nice to go to, for example, funding a project, I've really enjoyed a lot of aspects of that is here's a project and talking to people about it, seeing if they, you know, are interested in doing it, being a part of their generosity. You know, the fact that they're saying, yes, I'll, I'll be a sponsor. It's really, it's great. How do you go about a fundraising campaign for something? What does that typically look like? And who, maybe well, and also who does that involve? Uh, it involves, uh, well, our board and staff and, um, 
in addition, well, and I'm music director and conductor, and about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, I was made the executive director of the orchestra, so I'm also technically the administrative head of the orchestra. Typically, those are two separate people. Um, there's a whole story there. But, and then about three years ago or four years ago, it's like, well, you know, why don't you be the development director also? So um, the, the fundraising is kind of an all-on-deck effort, and we do it primarily through sponsorships. Um, a lot of nonprofits do sponsorships. A lot of nonprofits do special events. There might be a big gala or something like that. We've done that a little bit, but our main uh, support has been through corporate sponsorships, individual sponsorships. We have um, uh, different levels of sponsorship within the orchestra, so you could be a concert sponsor or a co-sponsor or a guest artist sponsor. Uh, you can also sponsor a musician in the orchestra. There's chair sponsorship, which is really popular, and there's a conductor circle level. And then we have a lot of people who sponsor our educational programs. And we do a good job at recognition. And um, uh, I really enjoy as much as possible talking to people about it. And, you know, if they're interested in sponsoring, you know, I want to I hear, you know, if they have questions about it. What do they, yes, sponsors, what do they want to get out of it? Not necessarily in terms of marketing, although that's fine. But what, what do they want to see with this project? Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you've done now uh, four concerts, I think, since October. Uh, throughout the course of COVID, you were doing concerts. And there was a lot of symphonies that, that didn't. Yeah. What, uh, what was different for you? Um, well, some lucky things. Um, you know, for one thing, we uh, live in a state where not everything was shut down. And, you know, you could, I, I think people have different views on that, maybe. Sure. But that gave us uh, an, an opportunity. Um, I'm also, this sounds silly, but, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I love to read, and I like reading about like astronauts and fighter pilots and explorers and scientists and all that. And it just seems like that people, uh, hum human beings can kind of do anything if they put their mind to it. And it's just a cliche. But, you know, when uh, COVID first um, happened, actually, I was I was in Europe when it uh, when it happened. And I basically had to I came back in the first flight where they just started uh, the CDC just started like cracking down on, you know, what, what you had to do when you got off the plane. Sure. But so there was a period of time where we just waited and then it was like, okay, there's probably going to be some way that we could do this. And we know there's going to be a lot. So we reached out to the Arkansas Department of Health and um, uh, our concerts would be considered these large events. And we just basically looked at every aspect of how we do a concert and then, okay, what's going to happen? How, how is it an option with COVID? Um, we had we have quite a bit of flexibility in terms of the size of orchestra that we could use. Um, there was a, a lot of options in terms of uh, uh, health protocols. I mean, we had to follow a bunch. Um, I think for indoor concerts, something that uh, not even the convention center people realized was that uh, I, went, I went down or I, I think I called them and said, uh, okay, we need to, the, the, key with, the key with giving indoor events and COVID more than anything else is fresh air. You got to have fresh air. So, you know, what is, your, uh, what is your ACH rate for the concert hall? What's the maximum air change rate per hour? 
And they, the way the concert hall set up here is, you know, they have these really uh, robust uh, fan systems and air conditioning, and it's not really ever designed to be like all these units full blast. It's just not designed it well. If you do do that, you know, they there's there's calculations and looking at what the manufacturer suggested, you know, cubic feet of air will move, and basically it has an incredible uh, air change rate per hour in there. It's pretty much fresh air, you know, every four, five, six minutes, the whole thing. And it's not, it's not recirculated air. It comes in from blowers, and it goes out uh, it, through a very robust um, exhaust fan system that I don't know. I don't know exactly why they had it. It might have been the exhaust fan system might have been a, a something for, like, if there were any fires or I don't know for yeah. – I, I don't quite know. But we just got really lucky. And, uh, and so, and when you're at the concert, you really don't notice it, except when you walk in uh, through the side uh, hallways uh, to get into the concert hall, there are these narrow hallways, and yeah, you're in a wind tunnel there, because all <laughs> the winds, you know, it's kind of the suction from the main auditorium. Yeah. So that was usually helpful. We, um, you know, we limited our audience size, did all that stuff. We built uh, plexiglass shields for in front of all the wind players. Uh, everyone's the, the, the health requirements of everyone wearing a mask, the social distancing. Uh, wind players even wear a mask. They've got a little slit cut here to, to play. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And uh, limiting the concert times. Uh, we're currently, instead of giving a concert, we give two shorter concerts. We repeat it. There's time in the middle for the whole hall to be uh, disinfected. So it's just a huge list of things. And, uh, you know, a shout out to uh, some of our board members who are, are medical professionals, and they were the best people. And uh, to be able to sit down, and it's like, you know, very picky doctors and nurses who really, uh, and one of whom is very involved in, uh, in COVID treatment currently, you know, just seeing people. And it was... <clears throat> Not wasn't necessarily well. Let's try to convince these people, but if it's like if they felt comfortable doing it, then I think that was a pretty good, you know, indication that we could try it. So, so the, our, our first concerts were done outdoors, which that was a that was to that was to basically those were concerts on the grounds of the Marshalls Museum. We <clears throat> protocols for indoor and outdoor performances are very similar. So let's try the first one outdoors, the first thing, and um, we use so much of that indoors and we have at the time of this recording we've got actually four performances in about well, maybe five weeks they're coming up so that'll be in uh you know and it's and, and we and we feel like these you know parameters again it's all been approved by the department of health yeah so but i think that's really a wonderful story that you you <clears throat> took the time to figure out how do we work or not around the system but how do we work within the system yeah well within the constraints and, we've been given yeah exactly and obviously you know you know, really feeling like, is this a safe option? You know, it's got to really, it's got to be a safe option. And we feel really confident about it. Sure. I guess, I guess it's safer if you sat home in your, you know, in a room. Right. Yeah. But you, but you know, our take is <clears throat> there has to be, we have to have some balance. We have to have some normal something, you know, and a lot of the sponsors were felt very strongly about, we can't, you know, we can't shut the city down. You know, we've got to keep, moving so uh this has worked and i think so we had a lot of good uh uh just a good set of circumstances a lot of the larger orchestras yeah they're completely shut down actually most orchestras are shut down mm -hmm. i think some of them do have uh issues like if you're a smaller orchestra 
like ours in terms of the season throughout the country, there are many. There's about 1,300 orchestras in the United States. There's a lot. Wow. Um, the, a lot of the smaller ones uh, perform like a, on university campuses. You know, they'll use their auditorium. Well, so many universities across the country, they're, they're not, they're, their auditoriums are closed. Sure. So, and if you're a, an orchestra and let's say you want to use a local church, well, a lot of the churches aren't really, just as an example. Yeah. So there's venue issues, a um, lot of financial challenges with a lot of uh, those orchestras that they just can't afford to to do it mm-hmm. and you know i can't i mean i you know an, an organization like the met you know, an opera company right now you know because singing is singing is a no-no <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially if think about an op think about an operatic singer they're just like they're belting it out there and all this there's all this spray right <laughs> i don't know when that's going to come back to yeah. normal but you've been fortunate to be able to continue to do so far what you love to do. I'm knocking. You can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So what, what have maybe have you learned from the process of having to shift and to pivot over the last, let's just call it 12 months. You know, uh, it's been, of course it, it's scary because you don't know what the long-term or short-term ramifications are for safety, just you know, financially for arts organizations. It's certainly scary, but, um, I, th- there have been some real interesting things about just kind of re it gives you a chance. It's, it's given us the chance forced us to really kind of reevaluate literally everything, you know, from handing out concert programs. We can't do that now. We had started uh, the year previously having an option to where you could have the concert program on your phone, and we're just doing that exclusively, and people really like it. Uh, we learned, uh, we're doing these shorter concerts. We used to do an intermission and have an intermission reception and all that, and we found, I think, a majority of our audiences don't want an intermission. You know, they want a, you know, 70, 75, 80-minute concert, maybe a little longer, and that's it. So we've learned some practical things. <laughs> Um, I've learned to just, it's in the classical music world, uh, we spend a lot of time on details. Um, I'd say it, the world, the environment in general, there's, you know, kind of picky people who want things. I have good players who are really, they're super nice people, but I know there's a lot of, you know, particular being people being particular and, sure. you know, the temperature has got to be just right. And it's got, the lighting's just got to be right. And everything's just got to be, you know, these little things. And right now it's, okay, you can play or you cannot play yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. And some of the, I don't know, it's, it's made it more real. It's more basic in some ways. And I'm kind of hoping is that after when things get back to normal, maybe our industry will just, you know, chill a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and I mean, listen, I love, I love music. It's just, you know, the, 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 the arts industries, there's great people, but I guess it's like anything else. You know, I was talking to someone the other day who was an engineer and just talking about, you know, get a group of engineers in a room, which it's going to, they're all going to be, you know, one upping each other. I guess it's just the way it is, but you have that, uh, in the arts and, and I'm hoping maybe this will, you know, people learn from it. Yeah. So well, let's come back to the people for just a moment and in, and employee development. I mean, they're they're paid professionals. Mm-hmm. They're employees, if you will. Yeah, and we do have we do have full time staff. 
we do have a two, we have a business manager and a stage manager, technical assistant. So there okay. are, yeah. So you have, so you have employees that are yeah. there full time and then yeah. you have these folks that come in and play yeah. performances. So let, let's start with the folks then that are part of, um, doing the performances. What's their professional development? If, is that part of what you do or is that something that they do on their own? Their professional development. Well, these people are, uh, the performers, quite a few of them, that's what they do all the time. Mm -hmm. They're maybe playing in a number of different orchestras. We have a number of uh, university teachers, people who have their doctorates in music, and they're, they're performing in, you know, that's, as part of what they do. Uh, we have uh, public school orchestra teachers who have bachelor's, master's in music, music education, who've had a performing you know, element. And they're all, you know, they're all doing, of course, their own sort of courses of development. Um, I think when they come to perform with us, uh, we're, you know, we, we're putting these programs together kind of our way, which is, you know, where we have our own sort of our own version, I guess, of osmosis of uh, taking maybe sort of a limited amount of time. And um, I think, again, um, I like to have an orchestra that again really projects out to an audience and you'd think well every orchestra is that way some that, that's a real big priority for me mm -hmm. so i think i think when they perform when they come and play in the fourth smith symphony there's going to be a certain style approach that they're going to use and they might not use it in if they're playing in another orchestra there might be a different dynamic so there's that flexibility that they and they need to do that without a speech beforehand and they you know they just you know or maybe i'll just do something and they'll know uh, there'll be some indication oh this needs to happen or this is the kind of sound or to make a few you know you know general comments about a lot of conductors a lot of orchestras the way it sounds on stage of course everyone's playing the way it's the way you play if you're playing in a practice room the way it is on stage you know that's a number one priority because the idea is if it, if it sounds great here it's going to sound great in the hall not necessarily i mean yes but there's a, there's a kind of a different approach to really projecting so there's that whole stylistic thing that i think we try to do so uh, you know for lack of a better term our orchestra tends to sound really big not loud just big it's yeah. a big it's a big sound. It can be loud sometimes. It can be loud sometimes when needed, <laughs> but um, you know that's a, a style that they do. And they keep uh, when they play with us. There's that. There's that approach. Mm -hmm. When they play in another orchestra, it might be very different. And musicians nowadays, to hint at what we were talking about earlier, um, they're performing. Everyone's doing some teaching, and everyone's uh, learning more about technology and trying to incorporate that. There's a little bit more of maybe the marketing online uh, lessons, even before COVID. Yeah. There's, there's that aspect that's becoming a bigger part of it, mm -hmm. of being a you know, professional musician. Yeah. Well, and how about your employees? You mentioned you've got several, I think it was three? Well, there's three, there's usually been four full-time employees uh, with the symphony. So there's me, me, and my job is usually a two or three person. There's a music director, an executive director, and then mm -hmm. maybe a development director. Well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bargain, <laughs> you know? Uh, although, uh, so there's, there's that. We have a, a, a business manager who uh, started with us recently, and that person manages all the day-to-day -day finances, billing, 
um, does things like our our uh, audit, you know, gets all that materials. We get a yearly audit done. Um, was just involved in our PPP uh, loan application for the second time. It helps me a little bit with grants. And this particular person has a music background, which is great. Um, person previous had had a similar job, had been there for 20 years. And uh, then we have another person who's uh, uh, that's the stage managing and basically manages all of our uh, IT stuff. So those folks, those jobs, we have had an office with small staff and the people have generally worked very independently and I'm sort of uh, gently suggesting things, you know, but uh, we've always tried to have real self-starter employees because I think with a small office like that, there's so many different things. You have to just be flexible and be able to jump in and help no matter what it is. There's been a lot of cross-training and it's kind of an all hands on deck uh, situation, ma- uh, mentality, yeah. really. Well, and you, you just mentioned the, the person ha- prior to that position uh, had been there for 20 years. You've been there for 24 years. Uh, what about it draws folks to stay so long? Well, uh, it's, a very, it's a very unique thing, you know, and uh, uh, Becky Yates, if I can say, you know, she's, she, she was with us for uh, 20 years, and uh, she loved being involved in, you know, pre- presenting music, you know, and those people who aren't uh, performing, who are doing maybe you could say behind the scenes, you know, they're just as involved in it. I mean, it's just as important. Uh, Lakin Emerson is there, uh, has this new role now, and as a performer, you know, she knows that uh, really well about that. It's, it's, it's part of a huge project, and after a concert, and even, you know, the selling the tickets, doing all the logistical things, that's all part of it. And I think people just love it. And there are a lot of great jobs out there, but it is also kind of unique to do this. It's very uh, unlike a more working like in a large company or like, a, I guess you could say a corporate America type of position. And those are great, but this is very, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's, all, it's not like, being self-employed exactly but it kind of has that feel a lot of times there's a lot of autonomy it sounds like exactly exactly and uh tony Yates is our uh, uh stage manager and it person and then we have uh, we are we do answer to our board of directors and we're a nonprofit organization so we have a board of directors of between 20 and 24 members and uh depending on the nonprofit, you know boards are involved in different ways and we very much had a board that has uh respected i think the staff's abilities and the musicians abilities they've kind of let us do our thing and they're more of uh keeping tabs on what we're doing as opposed to maybe uh telling us what to do Uh, however uh what's been terrific is they've been much more um um involved under the current circumstances mm-hmm. with COVID and they've been great sounding boards and you know, we want it. We want board members. We wanted those medical professionals to really be picky in terms of like putting concerts together. Yeah. And you know, like, uh, cause at first it was, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this at all, you yeah. know, and to go from there to what's happening now has been really, it's been really terrific. Yeah. You're putting on concerts yeah. and a lot of folks aren't. Yeah. And I mean, we don't have gigantic audiences. <laughs> we have to limit it. Yeah. And, and a lot of audience members are still uh, hesitant, which mm-hmm. we totally understand. We do, uh, related to that is um, uh, 
starting with our last concert and with a majority of the concerts for the rest of the year and maybe next, we do offer, we do a, a, do a live stream of the second performance. But we offer that as a, an extension of the ticket. So we don't offer it separately. Sure. But, you know, if people maybe just aren't comfortable yet, we totally understand that. It's very, very understandable. Yeah. Well, let's maybe talk about culture for just a moment. Sure. It sounds like you've created a pretty neat culture, a unique culture uh, at your time with the symphony. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, what strategies did you put in place to, to create that culture? Well, I wanted to have the orchestra run in a very professional and efficient manner. I mean, really uh, try to just, uh, in some ways, uh, have it run like a large symphony orchestra but with a lot uh, less, um, uh, you know, I don't want, I don't want to say, I don't know what the word is, you know, a lot less regimentation. It's funny. It's, it's like, it's like two opposite things. Like have it, have it run really well, but have people feel like they have a lot of uh, flexibility and they can contribute and have an open dialogue. So if someone has an issue or someone has a problem with something, they can immediately come to talk to me. If I'm the issue, you can talk to the board president. You know, there's no, there's no, um, there were not a lot of hierarchies, hmm. just feeling like we were colleagues. And um, I think always feeling like people uh, had uh, a say, could chime in. I, I think we've had a really great history of maybe if someone makes a suggestion that we do it. Um, or if there's an issue maybe with, uh, I don't know, with a number of people or something that we could do better for a number of people. It doesn't take a number of people to say that for us to act on it. It's maybe just one or two people. And I, I know over the years we've had that happen a lot of times. Someone might say, well, you know, can you maybe work on X, Y, Z? And then at the next concert is done, it's taken care of. And they're just, you know, very surprised at that. So it's getting things done quickly. Um, I think it's creating, without it being cheesy, of course, really having it being a positive and uh, enjoyable atmosphere. Um, in terms of the symphony, I like thinking about why, why did we enjoy playing music when we were kids? You know, it really was playing music, right? Maybe it doesn't, when we were kids, maybe it didn't sound as good, but you know, we enjoyed playing it. It's supposed to be an enjoyable thing. And, and, and as you know, any time something becomes a job, some of that enjoyment can go away. So it's really trying to stay focused that that doesn't happen. And, and one of the reasons we've had a lot of success and one of the reasons we have so many people who uh, want to come and play here is everyone hears that it's really a fun time to come and play. And unfortunately, uh, our business, our, the symphony business isn't that way. And one of, one of the saddest things is when musicians come to play and I get a chance to talk to them, they'll often talk about some recent experience they've had with another orchestra. And I just, you know, I can't believe it. I'm not saying there aren't good experiences out there, but so, so frequently it's people just taking themselves way too seriously and there's so much negativity. And, you know, you're doing music. I mean, you're playing great music. Why? You know, and that and that is a uh, in our in our broader orchestra industry, it's really a pretty serious problem, I think. And I think 
going back to one of the first things we said about some people thinking maybe the concerts might be, you know, if they heard symphony or maybe they went to a concert and they thought, oh, that was kind of boring. If you don't have a lot, if you have a people, bunch of people on stage who aren't very happy, you know, or who are looking at it like a job, it's only going to be so good. Yeah. And it's a, an emotional experience. So if that emotion is not coming out, it's, you know, it's like the gazillionth performance of a play, you know, where everyone's kind of tired of <laughs> We've <laughs> going, done that go, line. Yeah. Going through the motions. Yeah. So try to keep it fresh all the time. And, um, I, I talk a lot, just very, uh, I, I interact a lot with the musicians cause I am wanting to know how they're doing. When COVID started, I called everyone in the orchestra over about a three week period just to make sure, you know, everyone was doing okay. You know, if you know, how it was going for them financially without asking too many details, just checking in and seeing, you know, if there were any real significant issues, maybe if there was something that we could, you know, do. Uh, try to maybe get them a few more gigs or something, just something like that. Yeah. So it's just having that kind of, you know, thinking about other people and it's been that, and it's been a challenge because again, our industry, you know, people are going to wa watch this and they go, oh my God, he really doesn't like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like his industry. Yeah. I kind of don't. <laughs> um, I remember years ago I went to a national conference for orchestras and they have these every year. There's a big national organization. And Garrison Keeler was the keynote speaker, you know, Prairie Home Companion, you know. And he got up there and he was talking and he started, he said a couple things. And he says, well, you know, you guys are, you know, you're all a bunch of snobs. And everyone kind of got like this. And I was sitting in the back thinking, you know, he's absolutely right. You know, it's, it's great music. Maybe because it means so, it's, <clears throat> there's so much art to it. People just have taken it among you know taking it uh to themselves to be the i don't know the presenters of this great art which is they do but it's got to be done in a way that's you know don't take it so serious take it seriously but it's a living breathing thing you don't see like in the pop music world I, you don't see that as much you know yeah people just do it and i guess you could say well you could get into well as you know is uh you know, comparing the Rolling Stones to Beethoven, and that which is stupid, <laughs> but there's just, you know, I think that's just part of the openness of the openness of the arts, and you know, the fine arts. I think that's been one of the fine arts um, downfalls. Is we're so we're so important, and and I think I think young people, uh, it's a challenge sometimes for young people to get into you know uh, classical music. Young people really pick up on that, don't they? I mean, they really. If mm -hmm. someone's not genuine, or if someone kind of has a chip on their shoulder, even without saying it, boy, young folks just man, you can't. It creates you can't. a barrier to entry. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a cool thing, right? Playing, I mean, Beethoven. There's some really cool Beethoven. There's some really cool Mozart. There's some Mozart that's really boring, so you don't play that stuff. <laughs> you know, he wrote music. He started writing music when he was six. It's incredible. Well, the stuff that he wrote when he was six, you know, you know, it's a nice historical thing. You don't maybe don't play it. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's really at the end of the day, you know, it's really if you think about it, it's not that hard to try to make people feel valued and have them a good, have a good experience, making sure, you know, be really appreciative of everything that people do for you. Why do we, why do we not do that so much? That's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, I yeah. don't know the answer to it. I, we I get know. wrapped up and lost in our own thing. And yeah. And I understand. And you're, you know, work and, and family and all. I, I get it, but 
you know, it's a real, it's a problem. Yeah. There's an opportunity to have a little bit more relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And where we are in this country, my gosh, and we have it, you know, we have it so good in so many ways, you know, if you get a chance to travel, you know, I'm not saying there aren't cool things in other parts of the world, but just so many people struggle, you know, and I mean, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to forget that. For sure. Yeah. That's a, I think, a, I think it's a good way to maybe wrap up, which is take a step back Yeah. and look at somebody else and recognize where they're at. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe one final question I would have for you, which is if people are curious about the symphony, where do they go? How do they look it up? What's the, what's the process? Well, we do have a website. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fortsmithsymphony.org. We have a, 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 depending on the time of year, a pretty active Facebook page as we get closer to concerts. And, um, you know, I would, for people listening, watching, um, I, you know, I think I understand, uh, all the, you know, maybe some prejudice if you haven't been, but I have to say when people come to the concerts, they love it. Generally they're, uh, er- everywhere from incredibly well, well attended to sold out. We do over the last 20 years, we've sold out most every concert. There's definitely a demand. But I, I do know that there are folks that kind of, and I, I, I don't know how many times over the years, you know, someone has said, oh, you know, I, you know, I finally was able to drag my husband to the concert and we both loved it. I hear that so many times. Or people who say, I lived in Fort Smith for 25 years and I'm so mad because I finally went to the symphony. I, what, what, what was I thinking to have waited this long? And I hear a lot of that because it's a very, it's a very, um, the professional standard is actually really high. I mean, the orchestra plays really well. I think people will be really surprised. Uh, if they're thinking in a smaller, excuse me, a smaller community. We've had people move here from big cities uh, who attended, you know, big orchestras on a regular basis. They're real happy. Um, something we, you know, alluded to is some of these recording projects that we've done. I mean, they've, we've been, um, you know, we're, we're up there being compared with all the major orchestras and, you know, it's getting good reviews and we're just fortunate we've had this sort of uh, growth, development, support, and it's here in town. Now, with all of this said, uh, we're, this particular year is a challenge because of COVID. And actually what's happened is because of uh, strong subscription sales combined with the parameters, restrictions for social distancing, we're kind of sold out for the year. Like we just don't have room to accommodate anyone for health reasons unless those people who have season tickets decide that they might not use it for a specific concert. And we do have a whole process to try to determine that. So uh, towards the end of the season, we might be able to offer some tickets for certain concerts. And we hope next year that uh, if things start to improve, which they probably will, probably slower than people maybe want, we can start to go back to normal. And we actually have the all next year is all planned and, you know, all the programs are in place because I like to be organized. Because you're organized three years in advance. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of the next step. It's, it's assuming that there will be some COVID issues still. Maybe we don't have to sit six feet apart. Maybe we can sit three feet apart. Maybe we, you know, could take our masks off when we play or something. We're sort of, it's kind of a, uh, the, the season looks a little bit more like it normally does. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, John, I just want to say thank you. Uh, oh sure thank you thank you and 
telling me all about the symphony and I, I learned a lot and well, thank uh, you others uh, did as well so thanks for your time I really appreciate it and uh, that's that thank you I'm grateful you chose to listen please help us out by following liking or subscribing to our content at Facebook Instagram YouTube LinkedIn Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts take care and have a blessed day